Right, so um, we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. We want to talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, we've done, um, I was going to say we've done a, a, we've kind of tuned into it a little bit, but I think every week we talk about the Holy Spirit, don't we? Because he is God. He is part of who God is. It's like saying, let's talk about Jesus this week. It's like we talk about God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit every single week. Um, but I thought it would be appropriate to do a little bit of a dip in there today. And um, I am rubbish at getting stuff on screen. My apologies, because I know it's easier to concentrate when you can see it as well as hear it. But I will try and get some simplified notes out later on so you guys can go back and look at stuff or in small groups and stuff, you can talk about it this week. Um and the passage I'm going to read from is not the uh, the day of Pentecost one, which is in Acts 2. It's a little bit further on. It's from Acts 4. Um, and it's just called The Believers Pray. And it's Acts 4 verses 23 to 31. And I'll read it out. On their release, Peter and John. So I should add, this is the first time that the disciples have been imprisoned for preaching the gospel. So Jesus went back to heaven they gathered together, they prayed. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes. There's like a powerful moment where they're speaking in tongues and miracles are released. They begin to do miracles out on the street. Um, so verse 23 of Acts 4 says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed this prayer, the place, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. So um, it's a fantastic story because it's showing us what what did the early church look like? So when we read through Acts, we get to go, oh, that's what it looks like to walk with the Holy Spirit. And it's also about how do they react to the stuff that happens to them and around them. And um, at Easter, when Matt talks about the resurrection, he talks about the difference that it made in the lives of these guys who a few weeks beforehand at the crucifixion had all deserted Jesus. They'd lost the confidence, they'd lost the boldness, they'd lost the certainty that Jesus was who he said that he was. And this is like, this is days later, this is just a few weeks later that these are the guys standing up in the in public, shouting about Jesus, being so controversial, uh, to bringing Old Testament scripture into it to say he is the son of God and he rose again and they're getting thrown into prison for it. And the thing that grabs me so much about this passage among other things is in verse 29 they've had this opposition and they say now lord consider their threats and enable your servants the end of that sentence for me would be to be protected against them or to be safe or to stop this persecution please lord amen their prayer is now lord consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness in other words, we're going to keep on doing it. So God increase our boldness because we get that this persecution is going to come. It's a wild prayer. So where do they get that kind of confidence from? Well, we can see where it's from. It's from the Holy Spirit. 
he he filled them he spoke through them there were signs and wonders that started to happen and as a result of that they had this boldness that said we're going to lay everything on the line for that and a really good question to ask ourselves in this passage is okay so why didn't God just make it easy for them like they were doing what God asked them to do why did God not just um you know, open up the way, protect them, put this bubble around them to stop all the persecution. Um, would that not be a better way of this sort of going down? Would that not attract more people to the movement? So there's a few answers to that. Um, one is that God often does do those miracles. There's examples when Jesus spoke, examples throughout Acts where people are boldly speaking about God and people come to attack them. And I think there's an example where Jesus does it. He slides through the crowd and nobody sees him. There's an example where like Paul or Peter do it. They slide through the crowd and nobody can do it. There's moments where people get struck down by trying to speak against God. So he, we know that he can save. It's not that he is powerless to, um, to protect his people. People. Again and again and again, we see his power at work. He opens up jail cells and people get to walk out uh, without a mark on them, which is awesome. So it's not because he's not powerful enough. Um, what we what we do see is that these guys they have such a commitment to spreading the gospel that that actually adds a greater weight to what they're saying. It actually increases their determination to keep on doing it. They're showing that serving God is more important to them than their personal comfort. They would rather be in danger. They'd rather risk their own lives, their own freedoms, than to stay quiet and safe about this person, Jesus. Another thing that I think we've got to look at is, is saying if God always protected us, if God always healed us, if God always gave us exactly what we prayed for, then our motivations would be screwed up. And I know that Will brought this up last week when he was talking about this sense of like how special we are. God created us, he molded us, he formed us, and yet we're still not the centre of our own story. God is the centre of our story. And through knowing him and serving him and um, doing what he's asked us to do, that's where we find our purpose and our value and our worth. Because if God just answered every prayer, they said, like, well, we're preaching the gospel, so keep us safe, keep us wealthy, keep us well provided for. Everybody would be preaching the gospel, not because they love God, but because they wanted the best life they could possibly have. If God always said yes to our prayers and we had a cushy existence where we always got healed from whatever diseases and our marriages were always good and um, everything went really, really well, pe people would be flocking to Christianity and saying, oh, I'll get me some of that what a formula that's amazing like a big cosmic santa claus whatever i want i get as long as i stay in line god sometimes comes through in incredible ways in healing and protection and sometimes he allows really tough things to happen and our responsibility if we're serving god is just to keep saying yes 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 we found something greater than anything else that we can imagine so we're going to keep doing it and thank goodness he gives us the example of jesus Jesus did not le live an easy, stress-free life. Jesus experienced physical pain and rejection and hardship and um, mis people misinterpreted him, people misrepresented him, people persecuted him. And yet it shows that he has the ultimate authority over every situation. 
So back to the beginning of that passage, we see that um, they had been taken by the authorities and then they'd been released. What did the disciples do when they come back? They begin this prayer and they say, Lord, you are sovereign. You made the heavens and earth and you made everything in them. And they start to talk about God's authority over everything. So Pontius Pilate and Herod had authority in that situation to take them, to put them in jail, to put them on trial. Further on through the work, through the book of Acts, we see that they actually get like persecuted and physically beaten and they get to the point where they actually start to lose their lives as well. But God is never out of control. In verse 28, it says, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. I mean, that's a kick in the teeth, isn't it, for the authorities? Like they weren't even doing what they wanted to do. They were doing what God had allowed them to do because God had this amazing big story that Jesus was going to go to the cross. Jesus was going to be falsely accused, misrepresented and was going to die because of God's authority, because God had the victory. So the disciples already, they're seeing the world completely differently the point where Jesus went to the cross, they all ran away and went, oh, maybe we've got it all wrong. These guys, Herod and Pontius Pilate and everybody have got greater authority because look at what they're doing to Jesus. Here it gets flipped on its head and they go, oh, okay, God was in charge of it the whole time. So actually there's nothing that can happen to us that is outside of God's hand. There's no bad thing. There's no like um, situation that can happen that is out of God's authority and God's hand. And when we think about... Um, the stuff that we want to see happen. We can only think in terms of good circumstances. We only ever pray for good circumstances, don't we? Like God heal us, God restore us, God protect us, all that kind of stuff. And these are good things to pray. We're allowed to pray them and God does these things for us. But we also have to recognize that God's authority is in the bad situations and the good situations. He's in it when things look like they're going right and when things look like they're going wrong. So what we see from the early disciples here is just a massive boost to us understanding who God is, how he operates, how the Holy Spirit can be in our lives as well. It's not just us sat in a room praying to our Father God saying, please, 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 please change this, change this, change this so that I can finally have a life of purpose or I can finally get over this. It's about saying, wow, God, you dwell in me. God, you have promised to be everything to me that I need you to be. And that means any circumstance that I'm in, you're going to speak through it. You're going to use me through it. You're going to equip me through it. You're going to give me what I need in order to flourish and in order to point people to you. We go back into the Old Testament, which gets quoted here in verses 25 and 26. And I love that even before he announces this, like that kind of ties in with the whole, like, you know, people coming against you and rulers and authorities. He reminds everybody that um, God spoke th by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. That was centuries before what was happening right now. So the Holy Spirit has been at work through God's people since the beginning of time, um, in the Old Testament, through what Jesus was doing, because it reminds us that Jesus was filled by the Holy Spirit as well, and into us as well. How awesome is that? To have that same kind of resolve and boldness to say, yeah, I'm gonna speak about God, I wanna worship God, I wanna follow God no matter what happens. Well, this little kind of section here is, um, it's like a reflection of the rest of Acts of this pattern that we see. 
they gather together at every opportunity and they pray and they submit their situations over to God. They take whatever they're going through, no matter how expected or unexpected, how positive or negative, and they stand in front of God and they go, God, you are the Lord over the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. We believe you. We believe you're in control of this situation. We believe that you can do anything through any circumstance. It's why whenever we gather as church, nearly every church meeting starts with like praise and worship and prayer. It's not because it's this formula that we go, oh, this is how things are done because it was written down. It's we see this pattern in the word of God that when people gather and they acknowledge who God is and they point to God and they speak out how amazing God is, even before they've seen God do anything, that's when things happen. It's to do with the state of our hearts and being ready before God to actually receive what he's got to give us. When I think of my life and the times where God has, has come in and met with me, um, when I was 13 years old, I already knew God. I was already walking with God. The Holy Spirit had clearly already gone ahead of me in my life. I am fourth generation in my family of Christian. Two of my great grandparents were first generation Christians. They got invited like in the 19, just before the 1920s to go to like different um these stuff like these these big sort of um cruise used to call them crusades or kind of tent mission type things and they were both inv invited to go to those that's where they found god it's where they found each other they got married and then the generations that went on from them they continually prayed for them every day but my great grandma and my grandma's generation they used to gather they used to pray every day by name for every uh, sorry every week by name for every member of our family so I know that the Holy Spirit was already at work in my life long before I was aware of him. But there was a point where I had to say to God, no matter what I've seen, no matter what trajectory my life is on, I still need to choose you for myself. And I had this encounter that night, which some people would call the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Different people have got different theologies on it. Some people say the minute that you give your life over to God, you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you're infilled. And yet for some people, they have experiences later on where it's like they have a greater experience of the Holy Spirit. I don't really care what it's called. I don't really care when it happens. We just need to know that there's always more that God wants to bring to us. There's always more capacity for the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives. And I think Pete kind of brought this up when he talked about the fruit of the Spirit a couple of weeks ago. It's not like there's different gradients of the Holy Spirit or that we get like, um, you know, kind of work up the ladder towards it. It's basically how much of ourselves do we submit over to God? So the more we submit over to God, the more space there is for the Holy Spirit to do what he's going to do. And I don't think that's a one-time thing because my life now looks very different than it did when I was 13. There's a heck of a lot more stuff that's kind of in there now, things that I've got to weigh up, things that matter to me now that didn't matter to me then. I think it's a continual thing that we keep having to submit stuff over to God to allow him to work in our circumstances and through our circumstances. But we can definitely see that when the disciples gather, they pray, they acknowledge who God is, extraordinary things happen um, as the book of acts go on we see that the um intensity of the persecution increases we see that um the next time they get put into jail they actually do get flogged they get physically um hurt and it says in I think, acts 5 verse 41 they left that place rejoicing because they had been counting worthy of suffering they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name 
I don't know if that would be my attitude, but that is how focused on God and how full of the spirit that they were. Um, in Acts 7, they see the first one of them die when he's, Stephen is stoned for his public declaration of who Christ is. In Acts 8, we see that the church gets scattered. Um, in Acts 12, we see that James, one of the original apostles, gets killed. Up until that point, they'd kept going in jail and being set free and going in jail and being set free. Stuff got really real at this point. James, who walks more closely with Jesus than anybody else except for Peter and John, he loses his life as well. So over and over and over again, they have to keep choosing. We're going to say yes to what God wants to do in us, even though things are not going the way that we would want them to go. But there's this boldness that gets put in them. That word um, that we see in verse 31, when it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. Um, there's a Greek word that it's based on and it's called parousia. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. A person with parousia will say everything that is on their mind with no restraint, flowing out of their heart with confidence. It involves being frank and honest, hiding nothing and speaking directly to the heart. Not something to try and make everyone happy, but to speak the truth in spite of whatever cost may come. My question when I read this is, okay, so what does that look like for us? These guys stood on a street corner and shouted about Jesus. People do still do that in the 21st century. Do those people have a great deal of respect? I have a friend who became a Christian by walking along the road and hearing a street preacher. So yes, God uses those people. Um, I'm going to be honest, most of the time they make me cringe and I kind of distance myself from them because even the way that they're presenting it, I'm thinking, oh, come on, that's not entirely accurate or it's very one-sided. Um, so I find it difficult to see how God uses it, but I know that he can. The good news is there's way more ways that we can speak out boldly in the name of Jesus than that. So even just looking in Acts, here are some of the different ways that they modeled the Holy Spirit through their lives. Um, so straight after the story that we've just read, it says that um, all the believers were one in heart and mind. They began to share their possessions. They began to look after one another. So they boldly shared everything that they had. They were bold with their generosity and they submitted their finances to God. Sometimes they stood before crowds in different places and they declared the gospel. Sometimes people were won over by looking at them as a community and saying, wow, what a, what love they have for one another. There's reports from the first and second centuries that so the Christians were the ones that used to go and like rescue abandoned babies from rubbish pits and adopt them and look, them, look after them as their own. So when Paul went and preached in different places, he would listen to what is the, like their, their mindset, their mentality, what are these people interested in? I'm going to listen first and then I'm going to speak into that. Sometimes people were won over by the deep knowledge and the words of prophecy that came from the disciples. So again, this is spirit-led stuff. They'd spent ages looking in the word of God, learning the word of God, sometimes spending years studying the word of God, and they were in tune with the Holy Spirit. So when they stood up in a public place or in one of the, like, the debating halls in Athens, um, sometimes um, they were won over because of their response in jail. When these guys had their freedoms and liberties taken from them, the way that they responded and lived their life, either for the people that were jailing them, 
they got won over. The letters that came from them that poured out of their hearts, people were won over by that. And sometimes it was signs and wonders of the Holy Spirit. So it says here, and we still believe this now, that the Holy Spirit can reveal himself through tongues and healings and, and lots of different wonders. And we should always be praying that we're seeing that stuff in our own lives as well. Sometimes people were won over by seeing the sacrifice of the apostles. If you're willing to be beaten, imprisoned, exiled, lose your liberties and even your life, people go, that's something worth living and dying for. So for us, what does it look like? I wonder if one of the reasons why it's not so much us standing on street corners and shouting anymore is because Inaxis was brand new information. This is like people had never heard of Jesus. They didn't know who he was. They needed that. We actually live in um, what people have termed a post-Christendom society. In this country, pretty much everybody will have heard of who Jesus is and have a knowledge of God somewhere because our laws, our culture has been embedded in Christianity over the years. And in some ways it makes it harder to talk about Jesus because everybody's got a preconceived idea of who he is, what he stands for and what his followers are like. So I wonder if sometimes the whole standing on the street corner thing, the reason why it may not have the same impact as before, and I'm not decrying it, just have to say that, I'm not saying that God's not in it, is that people want to see what's the life of that person like. I don't just want to hear their message. I want to see how do you live? How do you treat your family? How do you treat your friends? I think people now are interested in community how do these people love one another? And actually a lot of what we're called to do by the power of the Holy Spirit is to redeem the story of salvation, to redeem the name of Jesus so that people stop thinking of it as a negative thing, but instead see it as this all-powerful, life-changing, positive, non-toxic um being this person who's made a genuine different in pe difference in people's lives and not in a weird, freaky way. So we constantly need to be asking God that how do we embody this message of hope? How do we allow the Holy Spirit to work through our lives in order to impact people around me? We need to be praying for one another. We need to be like the generations that went before me, starting new chains of behavior where people can be freed. We need to be, um, when people are looking at us saying, wow, you're going through a hard time at the moment. What comes out of us when we're squeezed what do we put on our social media? How do we frame the stuff that's going on? Whatever your voice is, whatever circumstance you're in, God wants to use his Holy Spirit in you, flowing through you to be able to speak to a generation who are looking at you and wanting to see what God wants to do in you. So what I want us to do is just to reflect on some of that stuff. I'm going to ask Matt to come up. And I just want to remind you again about this cycle that I think that we see throughout, particularly through Acts, but um, other areas of the Bible as well, is that people start by asking the question, what has God said? The Old Testament prophets had to begin with what God had already said in scripture. The disciples had to go with scripture and what has Jesus just told us? And from that, they just chose to trust what God had already said, even before they saw it happen. Then they had to submit to what they believed that God had asked them to submit to, they prayed and when they did that, the Holy Spirit dwelt in that place. So when we pour out ourselves to God and say, God, I trust what you've said in your word. 
I've trust what you've spoken over me. I'm going to say yes to that. It creates this space of submission, which the Holy Spirit can then come in. And we don't know what that's going to look like. But we do know that he has the ability to empower and refocus us and comfort us and speak to us and through us. It looks like all of these things. So as Matt just plays, I'm going to um, just read out some of the things that the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is. And if you want to just close your eyes and reflect on these, you can do. If you write notes on your phone or in a book or whatever and you want to write, you probably can't write all of them down as I say it, but maybe if there's one or two that jump out to you. And I will put this list um, on the chat as well later on so that people can um, reflect on it again. But I believe that God wants to, that the Holy Spirit wants to do this stuff through every person in the room today, but it might look slightly different for each of us. So who is the Holy Spirit? What does he want to do in your life? He wants to produce his fruit in us. He wants us to be carriers of his love and his peace and his joy, of his patience, of his goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control, of God's faithfulness. He wants those things to be seen in what we do and he wants to refresh us and renew us so that we can carry those things into a world that desperately needs them. In John 14, verse 26, it says that he is our helper. The Holy Spirit is genuinely interested in what you are going through, what you're thinking and you're feeling, and he wants to walk alongside you in that. We already know that God knows us more intimately than anybody else, and he wants that relationship where he walks alongside us in everything. In Ephesians, I have it be taken from us. The Holy Spirit is a seal on our lives. He holds us safe on the path to salvation, close to God the Father through what Jesus the Son has done, all the way through until we see them in eternity. In Jude and in Romans, it tells us that the Holy Spirit helps us in prayer. He actually prays on our behalf. He stands before God and he represents us to God. And when we don't know what to pray, when we've run out of words and we just want to experience who God is and see his will happen in our lives, the Holy Spirit can speak on our behalf through words that he gives us and through the language of tongues. In Titus, it reminds us that he regenerates us and he renews us. He's the strength that we're looking for when we're feeling weary, tired, distracted. Romans tells us that he baptizes us into the body of Christ. We belong because we've been called by God the Father. Our place in the family has been bought by Jesus, God's own son. We are now God's children. We can have that relationship with him because of what Jesus has done. And the Holy Spirit baptizes us into this body. We're not called to walk alone. We're called to walk together and we belong. In 1 Thessalonians and 2 Corinthians, it says that the Spirit comforts believers with fellowship and joy as they go through a hostile world. When our prayers aren't answered the way we want them to, when we face difficulty and hardship, that does not mean that God has abandoned us. He will be with us, we'll know his comfort, we'll be able to experience joy in the hardest of places because of what he does.
Romans 13 tells us that he fills us with joy and with peace and with hope. We have a reason to get up every morning. We have hope for today, hope for tomorrow and hope for all our future years. In Galatians, he reminds us that the Holy Spirit helps us to desire what is good and to turn from what is going to destroy us and other people. 1 Corinthians 12 reminds us that he gives us spiritual gifts, things that we can contribute and do, things that flow out of us, our creativity, our hard work, our desire to help other people. And these gifts will bless others and build each other up. John 16 tells us that the Holy Spirit convicts us of our unrighteousness. If we have done things that have separated us from God, things that have pulled us away from his will and his word, the Holy Spirit will nudge us and remind us and speak to us about that. And 1 Corinthians 2 tells us that he reveals deep wisdom to our hearts, wisdom that can't be gained through human means. So Holy Spirit, we thank you for all these things that you do and more besides. And God, we thank you that when we go through the valleys and the suffering, that you are right there alongside us, bringing treasure out of dark places. Holy Spirit, please prompt us and remind us if there's any areas of our lives that are not fully submitted to you. Bring those to our mind and help us to come before you in obedience and offer them up and say, God, take this have this use this even if it feels like it's going to cost me everything because we trust that what you're going to give us is so much better holy spirit we just invite you to fill those places now 